0: My guest is uh, Dan Fagella. He's the CEO and founder of Tech Emergence, Tech Emergence AI. So Dan, thanks for coming.
1: Yeah, Rich. Glad to be here.
0: Yeah. So tell me a little bit about uh Tech Emergence. What's the uh the premise behind the uh the company and the site?
1: Yeah, kind of give you the, the rundown. So we've been around since uh, two thousand twelve, although I, I was able to work on it full time just about a year and a half ago when i sold my e-commerce business which is kind of how we funded the company but tech emergence basically is a market research platform for looking at the applications and implications of ai for for basically leaders in business and government rich so um there's folks at uh, the united nations there's folks in the the government of spain and you know big public companies even private companies who are essentially asking what do the new capabilities of ai mean for me what am i going to have to do in terms of steering company strategy what kind of applications actually have enough case studies and, and uh value for me to actually think about adopting and how do I leverage these technologies to win in the market or in the case of governments to kind of achieve you know the the policy goals or, or kind of goals of the uh you know whoever's you know in, in that particular office or department or or what have you. So essentially mm-hmm. leveraging AI for leaders with with market research is what we do.
0: So that's great, because I wanted to ask you how tech savvy how AI-savvy are the companies and the governments you deal with? You know, do they, oh, is it yeah, just like uh, is, urban legends, what they know of, yeah, or do they know really what's going yeah, on?
1: Yep, yeah, the answer is is uh, totally not, is the appropriate answer. So um, I will tell you that, you know, if we look at, let's say, diplomats at the UN compared to, or diplomats at the UN, or let's say, you know, IT ministers in Africa and Asia with our, our work that we did, somewhat recently with the World Bank. Uh, We got commissioned to do a pretty major research project and kind of speaking uh, tour with with the World Bank there. Um, The folks kind of in the public side tend to be a little bit more in the dark. And I think that that's not necessarily to their discredit. It just means that it's less of a required part of their day-to-day life. Like to be a decision maker in the government, there's a lot of non-decision maker roles, let's just say that much, kind of within government context. And also, you know, the speed of technology adoption is a little bit slower. If we talk to executives in the retail world, in the pharmaceutical world, in the finance world, so we work with a lot of companies in pharma, in banking, in insurance, these spaces that are, you know, huge trillion-dollar sectors, and the executives there, are, they are at least at a tertiary level aware of the value of data aware that AI is kind of the next paradigm of 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 IT and that, you know, uh, their competitors are certainly looking into it and they should be as well and considering adoption when it makes sense. Um, so, you know, the, the big trillion dollar sectors kind of leadership tends to be, you know, they're not AI savvy in a technical sense, Rich, but they understand the basic concepts. But for much of the public sector, it's essentially nil. And so we're doing a lot of the, the baseline introduction of these concepts.
0: So we're... Um where should companies start? And I know it depends on the company and the industry. Yeah. You know, uh, can you give an example of a few different industries and where they're at and where they could be with today's AI technology? What are some common things that they could be using yeah. that they don't know about?
1: Cool. So, um, you know, and, and we, we could talk about really we'll just talk about big industries um, and, and give maybe some some relevant use cases. So, you know, I don't necessarily say what companies should do. Obviously, like you said, it varies depending on the company. But if we talk about common use cases, so what we like to look at here, Rich, and kind of where we're focused a good deal of our time is not only what are the use cases that are available that exist, but what are the trends that are almost unstoppable in terms of them being an inevitable part of the future of different industries. Do you understand what I'm saying? So not necessarily an anomalous case, but things that really are, there's a good consensus that they are going to be the wave of the future. And if you'd like, maybe I could highlight a fistful of those across a couple sectors.
0: I figured there's what companies think they need, and then there's maybe what they actually need. And then there's maybe a third thing, what's actually happening and where things are going, like you just said. So yeah, give me some examples of maybe all three of those things.
1: Yeah, sure. So, okay. Well, we'll start with what companies what companies think they need. Um, this is re- this really varies. So, the first two questions, the answers vary widely. But I'll give you a sense. Uh, what do companies think they need? Well, um, there are plenty of leaders in government, where for or sorry, in in, in the public uh, private sector. Let's talk about business, uh, who are somewhat just skeptical about AI in general, and it's not necessarily on their radar. I would say that at this point, that's that's somewhat Less common uh, in, in sort of more technically developed countries and, and uh, sectors that, that have money. Um, but uh, oftentimes what they think they need is, is, is often what they see, you know what they have exposure to. So so nobody can be blamed for that. But if all they've ever seen is the press releases that make the most noise, or the new functionality at Amazon or at Google, which you know obviously the company's kind of leading the technical developments of AI. If all they see is the stuff that's loudest in the press, oftentimes that's what's gonna be on their radar. So what does that mean? Oh, well, uh, I don't know, Google's doing stuff with voice, maybe we can do that. Oh, these guys are doing chatbot stuff, maybe we can do that. So a lot of the time what they think they need are the things that make a lot of consumer splash, and so make their way into tech media pretty frequently. Um, so if, if they're completely new to AI, a lot of the time the assumptions are the things that are loudest in the press, and that's often you know consumer interaction stuff. And now I'm not saying that voice is wrong, I'm not saying that chat interfaces are wrong. I'm just saying they're not always the right place to start. They're just often the first topics people hear about. Are you following me? Yeah, it makes sense. Okay, go on. Cool. Yep. So uh so that's that's often kind of what they maybe think they need if if they're new to the topic. Um in terms of what they actually need, again, this this varies super drastically. So for companies that are small rich, um, most small companies are just as excited and interested, you know, beyond a certain threshold of smallness, are just as excited and interested uh, about artificial intelligence as big companies. And they're asking, oh, how can we use this stuff? What can we do with it? Um, but the fact of the matter is, most businesses below a certain degree of scale honestly should not be thinking about really implementing robust artificial intelligence solutions uh, a- anytime soon, because they don't have the ingredients required. So the ingredients required are a lot of money. So let's just let's just put that out there. You know, there might be vendor AI vendor companies that say, oh, like we're really cost effective and it's really cheap. But the fact of the matter is, most vendor companies are targeting enterprises because of the ingredients that are needed. We need money to do all the complex integration and kind of data harmonizing to feed these algorithms and integrate with the systems of our clients and whatever the case may be. A lot of the time we're going to require things like that. We're going to require some kind of in-house data science talent on, on behalf of the company. So the client company is going to have to have somebody who can speak data science so they can talk to the vendor, they can inform the vendor, they can work with the vendor and make sure that we bring this this application to to fruition. We can't just take a subject matter expert in marketing and expect that he's going to understand all the details about data and and kind of the the use of it to to train algorithms to be a recommendation engine or something. Um, So we need that. We also need, need time and we need a culture that sort of permits for innovation. So let me tell you what I imply by this, Rich. Um, most companies, when they, you know, they they think that you can just buy an AI vendor product, plug it into your to your company, and now all of a sudden you have a recommendation engine to sell more furniture on the internet. That's actually not how it works, Rich. So if you want to, you mm. we're using a recommendation engine as a very easy, just accessible idea for your listeners here. But if we use a recommendation engine, if I'm a big company that that sells furniture on the internet, let's sell, let's say I sell two hundred million dollars worth of furniture on the internet every year. Um, In order to build a recommendation engine, I I need to streamline data to feed into this process. I then need to test a certain uh, percentage of all my web visitors to see, uh, to be exposed to different versions of my algorithm, different permutations of my of my recommendation algorithm to see which of them garners a higher customer lifetime value, a higher cart value. And we need to test those things over months and months and months. This is not something where in two weeks, all of a sudden we're selling more furniture. So most IT acquisition rich does not involve robust testing and kind of doing science here. Most of it implies plug it in, figure out how it works, and then just use it. Um, so in order to do AI, we need a culture that can permit all the damn time and money and tinkering that is required to often bring a robust artificial intelligence solution to life within a business. Those three ingredients, Rich, basically don't exist in small business. And so most small businesses ought not think about adopting AI from from vendor companies uh, if if, uh, if it's already on their mind. A lot of the time, they need to be kind of brought to reality that these things are not accessible to them and probably won't be for maybe even a couple years, uh, potentially. Let me know where you want to go from here.
0: Yeah, it's a little bit disappointing, but it's better to have reality than just, you know, false hope. That's,
1: so that's, that's what the I was going to ask you. Me, is, I,
0: yeah.
1: I could be a hype man, but I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I'm. People come to us as the truth man. So I decided not to be a hype man a long time ago.
0: So what is, what is AI going to look for? And look, so for right now, it's for enterprise because you need a lot of money, yep. a lot of data, and a lot of time to test and tweak is what you're saying, those three things.
1: You sure do. So what's...
0: What's it going to look like with the pass forward for small businesses or even for individuals? Um, How long and which applications do you think first will be accessible to small business? And what's, what's that going to look like?
1: Yeah. I mean, I could go into some individual examples. They'd be a little bit arbitrary. I can tell you the two major forces in my, in my estimation, Rich, that are going to make AI accessible to small businesses. So I can just articulate them quickly, and then you can let me know if we want to poke into those. Yeah, yeah. go ahead. Sure. Cool. All right. So one of them is, um, is just kind of the, the general user interface and usability problem. So right now, uh, artificial intelligence uh, applications, um are are somewhat complicated to use there's a certain degree of wizard skill involved and now when i use the term wizard skill i can make an analogy to past technologies so let's think about marketing automation software rich you're you're probably familiar with mailchimp mailchimp is a software that's so simple to use you could give you know a fifth grader you know half a cup of robitussin and then and then sit them in front of a computer and they'd be able to set up a mailchimp campaign like that's how easy mailchimp right. is um and, but but if we go back to if we go back to the year 1999 or 1998 and we and we basically tell a business, okay, you're going to have all these automated campaigns kick off and the send times are going to differentiate based on what email provider they have and and the the deliverables that they get from different emails are going to change based on what they click on and what they fill out in a survey. You would say, "Oh my god, I'm not a technical whiz. How could you ask me to do all that complicated stuff?" You know what I'm saying? Um, so yeah, so back definitely. then, you would have to custom code a lot of that stuff, and you would need what we would refer to as wizard skills. You would need a rare subset of hyper-technical abilities to, to kind of custom tweak and bend an existing software or just build something from scratch to do this functionality. AI is in its initial bumbling phases. Even the companies who've raised 50 $70, 80000000 million, dollars, they still only have... I don't know. A fistful of customers. They got a lot of pilots. They got a fistful of customers. They have, you know, maybe a small handful of case studies. You know, not, 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 not really a lot, to be honest. Most AI companies don't have a lot. I'll tell you that, because, uh, because it's all new. All these companies were born three years ago, or two years ago, Burn. or six damn months ago, bitch. And so we are at the tinkering phase. We are at the baby steps phase. Where the actual interface of making this usable by folks within the enterprise, within small business, within anywhere, is at its early phase, too. And so it's being built by wizards. And to some degree, I'm not insulting AI companies, but I'm saying to some degree, it's being built for wizards as well. And it's gonna take some time, Rich. It's gonna take experimentation, trial and error. It's gonna take the choice of the market, which is otherwise maybe we could refer to as the ultimate arbiter. It's going to take the choice of the market to figure out what a user interface and what accessibility looks like. And so that is a time problem. Um, and, and so that's, that's one of them. We are not there. We are, we are absolutely, positively, under the Lord himself, not there. Uh, the, 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 the second um, way that this is going to become accessible for small businesses is when uh, big vendor companies suck up all the data within a given sector or a given problem space from, from bigger firms. And they then make that same data accessible to smaller companies. So let me explain to you what I imply here. So let's just say that I run a company that helps with e-commerce search. Okay. So if you sell clothing on the internet, all I do is I work with apparel companies. I work with companies that sell clothing, and I integrate with Macy's, with uh, Levi's, with I don't know who else sells clothing because to be honest, I don't. I don't, I don't. I don't shop. I just don't care. But, but let's, just, let's just pretend I knew who the hell sells clothing, okay? The Gap, Macy's, whoever. Um, let's say I integrate as a vendor company with all of those big uh, apparel players. What, what I can end up doing, Rich, over a certain amount of time, and this is by no means an easy problem, but what I, what I can do over time is I can figure out what kinds of styles and price points of shirts tend to sell along with certain styles and price points of jeans, What kinds of user behavior tends to lead to someone who buys accessories versus someone who does not buy accessories? And I can make these general inferences accessible to small businesses. So small businesses rich often don't have the volumes and volumes and volumes of sales to be able to train an algorithm from scratch. But if I can find those broad patterns of preferences, those broad patterns of buying purchasing behaviors, and I can kind of provide those in some relatively accessible generalized form, I might still be able to improve the performance of a small business who doesn't have access to that data themselves. Now, that is not the paradigm of today. I don't want your listeners walking away and thinking that all the vendors who are out there have sucked up the data from the big boys and made it accessible to the little guys because, Rich, this paradigm has not happened yet. I want to be ice cold about that. Um, For the most part, it has absolutely not happened yet, but it will happen gradually, and eventually the price point will come down and the accessibility will come down, where those two dynamics will make it so that some random guy with a couple shoe stores in in Alabama is going to be able to potentially run his email marketing more effectively with some some aggregated AI stuff that doesn't require wizard skills. Let me know what you want to ask about that.
0: Well, I'm thinking about Amazon as you're talking because, um, you know, I guess it's I don't even know if it's a benevolent dictator, but it uh steps in the way of data and is doing it obviously for its own purposes and you know, same thing with Google and they have all that data and I, I don't know if they're ever gonna share it with their poor uh vendors and other people that are
1: nope, working on nope, their platform. Nope, nope. Yeah, they they are not they are not vendor companies. You're right. They are not vendor companies, generally speaking. They're not. Yep.
0: But you still they use it for their own take, they make their own money. Yep. But you still see it it's gonna take a company with tons of volume in a given space, like you said, closing retailers to get these insights and then maybe to pass them on to smaller retailers, but maybe not, but they're the ones that are going to get it. So it's like, yep. uh, I don't know if you want to call it data wars, but um, yeah, that's why I could see based on what you're saying, go, why data go is going to, to be so go important. Ahead
1: data wars. Go ahead and call it data wars, Rich. Go ahead and call it that. I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to get into wacky transhumanism with you right now, but uh, yeah, I mean, whoever owns the data and, and this is, this is, almost completely unimportant today. We we all think it's so important because it clearly is. I mean Amazon and Google they're they they're only the size they are because of AI and data and obviously because of you know their their smart businesses and I'm not Well here is what I
0: is here's, here's something important that I think will be important. And again, it I, it maybe gets getting political, I don't know. But yeah, I can see at, at least in certain areas it's going to be necessary to set down rules where data will be available to everybody, let's say in health Okay, because otherwise, yeah, yeah. you're going to have a bunch of of individuals or small companies that have no gas to put in their car. Essentially, they'll have no data to put into their AI and therefore they will be starved of the benefit of it. So I could see certain data sets being encrypted, but being allowed for use by anybody because, uh, you know, that's what's really going to be needed in order for AI to work for them. Otherwise, they're just going to be shut out of the ability to use it.
1: A hundred percent. We have not figured out as a society, as a government, uh, anywhere, we have not figured out what that mix looks like, but you, I believe that you are right, that the future is a mix. There will be information about, uh, about a broad number of things, you know, cancer diagnostics, um, self-driving car safety. There's going to be a bunch of things that probably someone fights to make sure that all companies can access them so that people stop dying in car crashes and stop dying from cancer, right? So that, there's going to be some of these things that, that are kind of called public goods in a broad way and they they end up being forced to be open. There will also, I think, rich become new rules around what constitutes a monopoly. So l- let me articulate something here that probably your listeners are unaware of. So when uh, right now I'm, I'm based in Boston and we're likely to grow the business from here. Forty percent of my business right now is in Europe in terms of our market research and a good deal of speaking coming up and a bunch of other things. Uh, so we're probably going to stay here. But I was in the Bay Area for about two years and we did a big series of in-person interviews with the venture capitalists in in the Bay Area. Uh, you know, going into the office and kind of banging out ideas with them and did a big, big article on Huffington Post about why VCs are interested in AI companies. And one of the big things, Rich is that eventually you get a feedback loop that makes you a monopolistic player. Now, none of the venture capitalists use the word monopoly uh, because you know they're, they're smarter than to use that word. But that's essentially what they were implying. And by the way, I'm not calling them bad people. They're, they're doing what they think is going to produce a return. But here's the deal. Like you said with Amazon, once you get to a certain size and you have enough market share, if you start collecting all the data and you use that to have a better user experience, then more people are going to pick you, and then you have more data, and then you create a better user experience, and then more people are going to pick you, and then you have more data. You understand what I mean? And then at some point, nobody will be the everything store on the internet except for Amazon unless monopoly rules change. No one will be a general search engine on the internet except for Google unless the monopoly rules change. So there will be new rules around what constitutes economic unfairness than it did back in you know the, the damn Rockefeller days, which are long, long since gone. Uh, you know, that was 100 years ago. So, um, so yeah, an update to the modern era of what constitutes a monopoly. I'll tell you this much. The venture capitalists know damn well, Rich, that that's exactly what the game is, and they're really excited about it. Uh, and so and so everybody in, in the game understands that, that that's essentially how it works. But from a legal standpoint, you are right. I think the rules will have to be updated to catch up with that reality.
0: Maybe the way that it'll happen is that, you know, the data comes from regular people, customers, and their behaviors and other factors about them, maybe their age, their marital status, et cetera. So that may be the linchpin, you know? Uh, well, the data is not really yours, company X, because it came from your customers, they really own it. Yeah. So therefore you can't, uh, you can only control it to a certain extent. And that, you know, let's say, um, you know, my data, my age, my race, et cetera, Uh, That's a fundamental human right or a thing that I own, so I can share it and use it if I want to, and it can't be owned by an individual company or government.
1: Yeah, establishing and enforcing what you're articulating is so complicated that personally I don't even think about it that much because I'm just like, oh my God, that's so insane. But yes, somebody does need to think about it, and there are a whole bunch of, kind of um, let's say, hypothetical frameworks for how that might work. There's kind of hypothetical ideas, hypothetical frameworks. It's still very much in the floaty kind of ether space, but I think it will become a reality where something like what you said could occur. Certain kinds of data from users under certain kinds of circumstances could be seen as a permission thing from the user, as an ownership from the user, and a user would retain some semblance of the value created by the data that they, that they contribute. I think that takes us to a really weird place in terms of enforcement. Um, but it may have to be the reality to cope with what business looks like uh, ten or fifteen years from now.
0: Yeah, and I know we're we're uh, down to the wire on time here. It's been a great call so yeah. far. Um, what's the best way for? I mean, who do you, who do you want to get in touch with you? You know, large companies, uh, small, et cetera, And how can they get in
1: touch with yeah, you sure. for info? Totally. So, well, a, a few things. I mean, I could say, well, go to our website. But I, I'd rather be like specific and valuable. What we talked about today was like small business and entrepreneurial adoption of AI. We actually did a really in-depth article specifically on kind of AI adoption for small businesses. I'll make sure I send that to you so we can put it in the show notes. So people who liked that Thank topic, which is the meat of our, yeah, I'll make sure I get that to you. I want, instead of like, go to our homepage, it's like, well, why don't you read this? If you like this interview, check this out. So that's one thing. Um, obviously, the website has all kinds of in-depth market research on on a whole variety of sectors and uh, essentially 90% of what we create is free. So anybody in finance, healthcare, banking, if you want to see how AI is making a difference in your sector, techemergence.com, type in your industry, see some pretty cool stuff. Um, but yeah, the folks that generally reach out to us, Rich, business-wise are, are either governments or, or kind of mid sized to large companies who are essentially looking to understand which critical trends are our competitors using and are going to be pivotal in our industry and how might we want to adapt and adopt those. So, uh, kind of for on the market research and advisory side, folks with those kind of critical needs are are the people that that we tend to work with.
0: Well, very good. Well, then yeah. it's been a short Social. tweet, yep. uh, really informative. I, I, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast.
1: Of course, yeah, great to meet you, Rich.
0: You have been listening to Almost Here Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast both to review to discover more future technologies